0: Daniel 2 as we return this morning to our sermon series on Daniel last week, looking at the first 23 verses of this chapter. I mentioned that really the chapter ought to be taken all together as a whole, but for uh, the the purposes of time, we split it up into two sermons. And so this morning we'll be looking at the second half of Daniel chapter 2 Beginning in verse twenty-four, let's give our attention now to the reading of God's word. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, "Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation." Then Ariak brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your minds. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, the stone was cut out by no human hands, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O King, the King of Kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw, the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, It shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as he saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remains at the king's courts. Let's ask God for his help as we come to the preaching of his word. Oh, Lord God, even as we just read, you are the revealer of mysteries. You are the one who has given us this word as you carried Daniel along to narrate this account to us. And you are the one we need in order to properly understand it in its application to us. And so we pray God, open your word to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, illumine our minds, give us understanding, give us wisdom. Give us lights in your word. It's in Jesus name we ask this. Amen. This past week, Al Moler commented that we find ourselves in quote, "a very dangerous moment in world history. Last Friday, President Biden presented a proposal for over $100 billion of military aid for Ukraine against Russia, for Israel against Hamas, and for Taiwan against China. Russia, Iran, the power that is behind Hamas and China, they're not unrelated entities. And then when you add North Korea to the next, there are some who are predicting that World War III is on the horizon. Former President Donald Trump this past Tuesday uh, said this in a speech that he was giving. He said, I promise to you as president, I will restore peace through strengths and we will prevent, we will stop World War II. Three, The claim has a certain messianic ring to it As if Trump has the ability to usher in international peace By the strength of his right arm On his historic visit to Israel Last Wednesday, Biden made a claim with a messianic ring to it as well He said this As long as the United States stands And we will stand forever we will not let you ever be alone. As if Biden has the ability to ensure that the United States of America will endure everlastingly as the savior of its allies. In this very dangerous moment in world history, our current presidents and our former presidents as the chief representatives of two polarized Political parties are both spewing prideful platitudes. It's called a God complex. None of us are immune to it, but especially those in high places are prone to it. And if history teaches us anything, brothers and sisters, it is that those who are proud, they might remain on top for a time, but they eventually are brought devastatingly low. In the midst of these intense international tensions that we see arising around us, one wonders, I think many of us are wondering, how long a proud nation like ours can remain on top, for every earthly kingdom eventually falls That's the overarching message of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It's a dream fit to humble and arrogant political leader who has deified himself and eternalized his kingdom. And it's extremely relevant for us in the dangerous days in which we find ourselves. The first thing we see here in our text is that heaven's revelation, heaven's revelation, exposes the impotence of Nebuchadnezzar's courts. The king, as you'll remember from last week, he demanded that his royal courts not only tell him the interpretation of the nightmare that he had had, but also that they tell him the contents of it. His worldly wise men were unable to meet his demands. But Daniel, as a member of the court, sought the God of heaven. He sought God to reveal this mystery, and God responded to him in mercy, revealing Nebuchadnezzar's dream in a vision. What the Babylonian gods were unable to do, Daniel's God is able to do. And so now, having praised God, for his wisdom and his revelation. Daniel goes straightway to the captain of the guard, Arioch, And he appeals in verse 24. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Arioch brings Daniel to the king in haste he is seeing this as an opportunity to be exalted in the eyes of the king. This is an opportunity for Arioch to be promoted. You see that in his words. In verse 25, he says, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. That, of course, isn't exactly right. Arioch hadn't found Daniel Daniel had found Ariach. We see here the, the subtle way that the proud use deceit in the pursuit of self promotion. Ariach wants to be seen as the one who brought about peace in the midst of chaos and insights in the midst of confusion. And what a contrast there is here with Daniel. If ever there was an opportunity to make much of himself, this was it. Daniel has the answer that no one else had, and he could have easily taken credit for it. This is an opportunity for him to launch his personal political campaign. But when the most powerful man in the world asks him, verse 26, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel doesn't take the bait. Look at verses 27 and 28. Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. In other words, your royal court of wise men is entirely impotent. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Do you see what Daniel does here? The king asks, are you able to do this? And after emphasizing the inability of the worldly wise, Daniel responds by saying, God, the God of heaven, is able to do this. For he, verse 29, is the revealer of mysteries. This is heaven's revelation, not Daniel's revelation. And after making that abundantly clear, Daniel then goes on to explain his role in the matter. In verse 30. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. I was a passive recipient. And it was revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But it was revealed to me in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king. And that you may know the thoughts of your minds. Daniel's really no difference than any other official in the royal courts. The only reason that he is not powerlessly cowering before the unreasonable demands of Nebuchadnezzar is because of God. God alone is the one who has made him to differ. And so he goes out of his way to efface himself in the exaltation of God. Daniel is humble. He has the downward disposition of a Godward self perception it was this humility that led him to peace prayer and praise in the midst of his death sentence and it is now this humility that leads him to point away from himself to the God of heaven who knows the thoughts of Nebuchadnezzar Daniel is entirely free of a God complex In contrast to the politicians of our day, his message is very clear. I am not the Savior. Wisdom does not reside with me. I do not have the power to restore order and peace. I am simply God's servant who has been sent to speak God's word. Beloved, few of us will ever stand before the great political leaders of the nation in which we find ourselves. We likely won't have an audience with the president or be members of his cabinets. But in our exile, we are given many opportunities to efface ourselves and to exalt our God before the worldly wise. For as we live according to God's revealed wisdom in his Word, it serves to expose the impotence of the world's wisdom. Just take marriage and sex, for example. As devastating as the sexual revolution is, we need to recognize that It is God serving up to us an amazing opportunity, an amazing opportunity. That's as the world tells us that the marriage is a an arbitrary social construct for self-realization and self-fulfillment. And that that sex is a a casual act for for self-pleasure. Do you know what that kind of worldly wisdom has resulted in? It's resulted in death and destruction, the proliferation of no-fault divorce and sexually transmitted diseases and fatherless children and, and prostitution, and the list goes on and on and on. And so that's where we find ourselves, thanks in no small part to the sexual revolution. It sounds very bleak, except it's not, because it's an amazing opportunity. It's an opportunity because as we live according to God's revealed wisdom, the world cannot help but look at our marriages and our families and scratch their heads at the stark contrast. When they do, we have an opportunity to either exalt ourselves or to exalt God. The temptation to pride is very real as an exile who possesses God's revelation. It's a great temptation to think to ourselves, yeah, look look at how good my marriage is. Look at how great my kids turned out. Pretty impressive, huh? When all the while we should be saying, yes, yes. My marriage and family are beautiful, but here's why. My spouse and I, we, we're simply seeking to obey God's word regarding marriage and family. We do it very imperfectly, and all the imperfection is our fault. But to whatever degree we obey, it's the result of God's grace empowering us. The beauty you are seeing. The contrast you are seeing is brought about by submission to God's wise word through the power of God's grace. And let me tell you where that grace can be found. It's called the gospel, the gospel. Friends, how often we miss opportunities like this. We miss these opportunities because we are puffed up with a sense of superiority, as if we are inherently wiser or better than our neighbors. It is God who has made us to differ. It is God. The king of heaven has shown mercy to us. It's most unbefitting for exiles like us to have a God complex. The revelation is from heaven, not from us. The gifts and graces are from heaven. They're not from us. And so we live, First Peter 2, 9, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. For in the words of Daniel, the light dwells with him. This is heaven's merciful revelation. Having made that abundantly clear, Daniel now goes on to explain the king's reign and its meaning. We see seconds that heaven's rule exposes the impermanence of Nebuchadnezzar's crown. According to the king's demands... Daniel explains the contents of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in verses 31 through 35, and then he gives the interpretation of the dream in verses 36 through 45. First, the dream's contents. Verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The dream is of a stately and scary statue that is comprised of four different kinds of metal of decreasing value, a head of gold, an upper torso of silver, a lower torso and thighs of bronze, and then legs and feet of iron mixed with clay. And so here is Nebuchadnezzar standing before this terrifying fourfold statue. And as he beholds it, verse 34, a stone was cut by no human hand. And it struck the image, the statue, on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. The ESV translation here is a little bit weak. This breaking into pieces, it literally means to pulverize. This rock strikes the feet of this statue and shatters them. And then it results in the entire statue shattering. It turns to dust, chaff that is blown away with the winds. And then verse 35, the stone that struck the image becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. there's the contents of the dream now what does this strange nightmare actually mean in verse 36 Daniel turns to give the interpretation explaining that this fourfold statue represents four worldwide kingdoms of descending glory the only kingdom explicitly spelled out is Babylon which is represented by the head of gold. You see that in verses 37 and 38. But given our place in history now, we know that the silver represents the Medo-Persian empire, the bronze represents the Greek empire, and the iron clay represents the Roman empire. These empires are brought together into one single Figure representing the anti-God kingdoms of this world in all of their greatness. And notice that this greatness is a greatness that's from God, the very God that these nations rage against. Look at Daniel's words in verses 37 and 38, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, You, O king, the king of kings, To whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. Daniel doesn't merely face himself in the exaltation of God. He he faces the king. It's amazing the, the courage That he shows here. We saw this throughout our sermon series on Acts and our sermon series on humility. Humility doesn't make us to be namby-pamby, limp-wristed pushovers. It makes us bold. It makes us strong. It, It enables us to stand before kings and exalt the one true living God. And that's what Daniel is doing here. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of kings, but he is only so because God has given him the dominion. There's likely an allusion here to Genesis 1, 28, where God commands Adam to rule over all the creatures of the earth as his king. Adam had been given delegated authority by God to rule under God. So too had Nebuchadnezzar, and so too would all the kings that would come after him in these other kingdoms But like Adam, Nebuchadnezzar abused that authority to pridefully serve himself. And so too would the kings that followed in his wake. And this would result ultimately in their downfall. This statue is a picture of the glory of the kingdom of man. But more than that, it's a picture of the fragility of the kingdom of man. The empires of this world, with all their pomp and all their glory, they have clay. Feet. One empire gives way to another of inferior worse until we get to the Roman Empire. And in the days of this iron clay kingdom, verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever now just consider what a a humbling dream this would have been for proud nebuchadnezzar he might be highly exalted over all the earth now but his kingdom will not endure He might have deified himself and eternalized his kingdom, but a day is coming very soon when his kingdom will be turned to dust and blow away. All you have to do is go to modern Iraq today, about 55 miles south of Baghdad, and go and see what is left of Babylon, a city that used to be the size of Chicago and housed one of the seven wonders of the world. The richest, most luxurious city in all the world is now a pile of rubble in the deserts. That's the story of every earthly kingdom. Friends, I propose to you it will be the story of America. With all due respect to our president's It is theologically erroneous to say that the United States will stand forever. It won't. Only one kingdom will stand forever. And it is a kingdom that is not of this world. God's kingly stone. He came from heaven in the days of the Roman Empire. And He came not with pomp and pride and power. You know what He came doing? He came humbly proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Rather than pulverizing the Romans, He was actually pulverized by the Romans. When His disciples tried to on his behalf, he commanded them to sheathe their swords. When interrogated by a senior Roman government official, he responded by saying, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus, as the second Adam, was crucified by the Romans on a trash dump, and he descended into the grave. But in the irony of God's ways, it was actually his humiliation unto death that led to the establishment of a kingdom that will outlive all the kingdoms of this earth. His murder at the hands of the Romans was Rome unknowingly committing suicide. For the God of our Lord Jesus Christ is a God who brings low the proud, And exalts the humble. And he raised up his humble son, this son of Adam, what Daniel will call later on the son of man. He raised him up from the grave never to die again. He lifted him up to take his seat upon heaven's throne in human Flesh, in order that his heavenly kingdom might extend, his dominion, his reign might extend all around the earth until the final day when he comes again. On that day, God's kingdom mountain. Will envelop the whole globe and God's redeemed will declare Revelation eleven fifteen. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever. Notice those words, the kingdom of the world. It's in the singular. Just like this statue is in the singular. John will go on to refer to the kingdom of the world as Babylon the Great. Babylon, now becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. On that day, Adam's original mandate will be fully realized. As God's worship and rule is spread around the earth in a perfected kingdom of priests who serve him forever more. On that day, the nations that arrogantly conspire against Christ will be dashed to pieces with his rod of iron. Now with such a philosophy of history before him, one might expect Daniel to join a monastery. I mean, why bother with politics and culture when Babylon will soon be turned to dust, right? But instead, he assumes one of the most important political positions in Babylon as God exalts him. And uh, not only that, you see that in verse 48, but then in in verse 49, he, he makes a request of the king. A request that his three friends might be lifted up to positions of significance in the political realm as well. Daniel and his friends are doing precisely what God had commanded them to do. Back in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. God, speaking to his exiled people, said, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God's humble exiles don't give way to fleshly retreats. We talked about that some in the first sermon in our series. They don't become monks. They don't hide under a rock. As salt, they seek to preserve Babylon from self-destructing in idolatry by declaring God's glory. As lights, they seek to deliver Babylon from self-destructing folly by spreading God's wisdom. And in our exile, we have the responsibility to do the same. To seek the welfare of the arrogant nation in which we find ourselves. To pray for our political leaders who deify themselves and eternalize American democracy to labor for the knowledge of God's glory and his word to permeate society. We declare with Daniel before the mighty Nebuchadnezzar's of our day. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So we don't give way to fleshly retreat, but we also don't give way to what we called in our first sermon, fleshly renovation. It seems from my perspective, it's very sad uh, because in the reformed world in particular, there is a polarization taking place between what, in my opinion, are two very confused groups that are falling into two extremes in this regard. That we could call fleshly retreat and fleshly renovation. And uh, we see people falling off on both sides. And we see them fighting against each other on social media. and All over the place at each other's throats. We are not seeking to turn Babylon into a new Israel. That's not what Daniel was seeking after. That's not what we are to seek after, friends. Daniel, as I said in the first sermon, is seeking to be faithful as the exiled Israel in Babylon, not seeking to turn Babylon into Israel. America is not in covenant with God. And we need to be clear about that. There's only one holy nation, and it's not the United States of America it will one day fall like every other kingdom of this world. For all of its greatness, it will one day be pulverized and blown away like the chaff. Our nation has clay feet. Now, we could say, well, in light of that, then what's the point of of even doing anything. Well, you could say the same thing about Daniel, but there's just a perfect balance here in the book of Daniel that we need to get right lest we fall into the ditch on either side. We don't retreat, but we also don't put our hope and our trust in politicians and legislation and and military strategy. In the midst of this dangerous historical moment, we put our hope and our trust in the eternal Christ and in his kingdom that will not be shaken. And when big-headed politicians preach the Babylonian gospel, calling us to put our trust in them as the saviors of the world, we respond in courageous humility. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Have you taken refuge in him? As the kingly stone, the stone that is a cause of stumbling and offense to the worldly wise, have you taken refuge in him? Have you bowed the knee before him? Is he your king and your your Lord, your God? And are you living? To spread his rule, his spiritual heavenly reign in every sphere of life during your exile as you await the consummation. In this dangerous historical moment, God is giving us a philosophy of history through this heavenly revelation. And its message is very, very simple. Heaven rules, not the kingdoms of this earth, and that includes ours. Heaven rules. Amen. Oh, great God, how we need wisdom in these days as your chosen exiles, delivered from this present evil age and yet finding ourselves still here. In this present evil age, Lord, it takes great wisdom to know how to live and how to relate to this world. And Lord, as we see polarization within the church over these matters, radical two kingdoms people on one side, Christian nationalists on the other at each other's throats, so much confusion, so much fog, so much extremism. Lord, we thank You for the beautiful balance set forth in Daniel and in our Savior. And God, we pray that You would help us to strike this balance as well. That You would keep us from fleshly retreats fleshly renovation that we, with this vision of this living stone, this heavenly stone, this wise stone, this cornerstone of Your kingdom temple, oh, that we, with our eyes fixed upon our Lord Jesus, would journey through this earthly pilgrimage with our eyes heavenward, and that we would labor with all our might here below for the good of our neighbor and for the glory of God. Help us, Lord, keep us from putting our trust in princes, politicians, militaries, alliances. Oh, God, we know not what the days ahead hold. But we thank you, even as we saw last week, that you are the one who holds the future in the palms of your hand. And we pray, grow our faith in you. Make us to fear you. Make us to serve you. Make us to rejoice with trembling. No matter what might come, oh God, help us to remain steadfastly holding fast to our confession and to your truth. It's in your name we pray these things, Lord Jesus. Amen.